Hello and welcome to John's Author Diary for the weekend in April the 11th, 2021. We are still in Easter holiday mode here, so I have had most of this week off. Just been doing a lot of stuff involving my wife and son. Going places, going walks, going out. Even went to Wolverhampton to see my family. So that worked out really well. My mum and one of my sisters live in the same household, so we were able to go and sit in their back garden for a few hours. So that was amazing to see my niece and nephew catching up with people. And then after we saw them, we went to West Park in Wolverhampton and met up with my sister and her boyfriend and my brother. So we kept to the rules, but we got to see the important people. So that was great. Gave me a real boost, that did. Missed them. And it was a really good run on the motorway as well. So that helped. We managed to do the trip from Morecambe to Wolverhampton two hours each way. So it was a long day. It was tiring, but it was definitely worth it. As I mentioned before, when I have time off, it gives me time to think, time to reassess. Now, I realised that I hadn't talked about my quarterly goals. And my main thing is that I do need to focus on finishing this first Assassin's novel. So that is what I'd like to get done by the summer. There's a lot of moving parts in the book. It's quite a complicated story. So hopefully that will get done by the end of this quarter. I've also made the decision to step away from producing the Sci-Fi Roundtable podcast. So I've been doing this for two years, been doing all the editing, getting the show notes together, putting them live. It's been great doing it. Learned a lot, made some good friends, but I need to free up as much of my time as I can. I need to focus on one thing. And unfortunately, that is a peripheral project that does take up a lot of time. So I'm glad to have given something back to the community but I just need to focus now on what is important. So I have done the episodes that are queued until near the end of May, and then I've asked for volunteers or people to take over. So it could be the end of the sci-fi roundtable if no one takes up what I've done, or it could be the start of a new chapter. Either way, my involvement with the production side of things is going to be done. But if it does carry on, I don't rule out joining in on the odd episode. I did a speech this week for the... Morecambe and Lancaster Speakers Club. So I've been doing these over the past year, really getting a lot from them. I did my second impromptu speech this week. So this is where you get 15 minutes notice, you get a choice of three titles, and then you've got to come up with a speech in that time. Really difficult, really challenging, but I think it is actually the best way for me to learn how to get good at this. So I found it really difficult, but also really positive experience so i will put that at the end of this you'll probably be able to see that it's not as tight or as thought out as planned speeches such as one on bullfighting and things like that but i think it's still a good exercise for me to do because in terms of leveling up my author career doing things like panels on conferences and things like that are going to be important going forward and it also means that i'm better at doing these podcasts or at least that's the plan so in terms of reading then I have been carrying on with the Ryria Chronicles by Michael J. Sullivan. I read the second book of that, which was called Rise of Empire. Again, it's basically two novels in one on these audiobooks, so that's great. Really enjoyed that. And I'm on to the final book, which is called The Hair of Nevron. And I'm on the last, last book of that. So again, another one where it's divided into two. And I'm on the last book. So really enjoyed the twists and turns of this. Really enjoyed the relationship between the main characters. I think it's a really well-plotted story, really well-paced, and it's definitely given me 
bit of confidence that what I'm doing is on the right track. So next week then is up in the air a bit. My wife is going to be off work. My son's going to be back at school. I think we're going to take advantage of that and the fact that pub gardens are open. So if the weather is nice, I think we're going to try and get a drink. We've got a swim booked. So as the restrictions are being lifted, we're going to get our lives back. So I cannot wait. So who knows? I've got no plans to do work next week. I might do. We'll see how it goes. So until next time, cheerio. What makes a creature scary? Is it the way it looks? Is it the way it moves? This creature that I fear the most, and I know that it's an irrational fear because we don't get them in Morecambe or even in the UK, and they don't actually kill that many people, but they are horrific when you see them. I'm talking, of course, about the Komodo dragon. I don't know if you're aware of these creatures, big, muscly monitor lizards that live around Indonesia, and they attack maybe five humans a year, something like that, often fatal. They're three metres long. They can chase people down, and they're very sneaky. They, they kind of wait in the grass. They can wait for hours. And they feed on things like deers and stuff like that. They will bite you. And then they'll just let you die. Because when they bite you, their spit, it contains a parasite. And lots of bacteria that just make it so that you you get gradually weaker very quickly. You get exhausted. Your wound does not heal. And then when you're weak, they just pounce on you and eat you. So, yeah, they're my most feared creatures if i'm being honest i would not like to meet one down a dark alley or anywhere for that matter when i think of some of the scariest looking creatures the the creatures that kind of creep me out when i see them you kind of have to look under the sea and i'm thinking of things like anglerfish which have got these huge teeth and a weird kind of, almost, they're called an anglerfish because it's got like this fishing rod type appendage that lights up. And the idea is, is that the, the light attracts other fish and the fish swim into their mouth. And that is a way of catching fish. So they're, they're literally anglers. And then you get things like what, what I'd call like the tentacled creatures, like your octopuses and your squids. And then jellyfish and Portuguese man of war, which are... You know, they get into the realms of just weirdness. I mean, Portuguese man of wars, I think they contain several thousand different creatures, all as part of one thing, a bit like saphonophores. And the ones that creep me out the most, they were only discovered a few years ago. And look these up because they're horrific. And they're about 40 metres, that's right, 40 metres long. They're about, I don't know, as wide as like one of those big fat water pipes you'll see. And they are just this horrible thing that contains several million creatures, several million bioluminescent organisms that just kind of drift along the sea and have all shared the same consciousness. And I don't know, there's just a lot of kind of creepy dystopian story fuel in there, I think. I think there's a story in that idea. But, you know, it's not just the way things look. It's, it's also knowing, knowing about the creatures, the killer creatures, I mean, for example, hippos. Not many people think of hippos as scary creatures, but they kill 
twice as many people a year as lions. You know, if you disturb a hippo, they will probably eat you. You know, the vegetarians, they look basically like big daft horses. <laughs> but they're killers and they will eat you. Uh, crocodiles, of course, as well. These are genuinely scary creatures. These will come after you. They will chase you down, snap, grab you in the jaws, roll you around and round and round, drag you under the water. Usually with a crocodile, you drown before you actually get eaten. So it's probably better than, you know, just getting snapped to death. Say with scorpions, again, these kill 3,000 people a year. 10 people a day, roughly, get killed by scorpions. They're tiny and they're deadly. What I like to watch, I don't know if you've ever seen, meerkats. Meerkats love eating scorpions. They have this weird kind of deadly dance where, you know, they really want to eat the scorpion, but at the same time, the scorpion's got a big stinger smashing down on them. So they have this weird kind of back and forth where they're trying to wrestle the scorpion, they're trying to avoid the tail. It's a good way to get a snack if that's what you're into. Personally, no, I, I would rather just not do that. And as we're going up the deadly scale, you know, dogs, the little things that we have running around our houses, they, they account for 25,000 deaths a year. You know, we've all heard about, you know, things like bull terriers and, you know, rottweilers and things like that. I mean, my guide dog got attacked by a, a Staffordshire bull terrier about a year ago, and that, that was really traumatic, you know, it was really upsetting when that happened. And because they're cute and cuddly and they live in our houses, we forget that they are basically wolves. They've still got that instinct in them. And if you look at a dog wrong, he will eat you. So just bear that in mind. I think the one that we need to fear the most is, of course, the mosquito. These account for somewhere in the region of a million deaths a year because of spread malaria. And these are devastating creatures and there's, there's a lot of work being done by things like the Gates Foundation to get rid of malaria, which is great. And I hope that continues. And I'm going to leave you with, I suppose, one thought about the most deadliest creature of all. And it is, of course, the human. Mm-hmm. 